just like I, I feel that they're trying to say something, and I kind of resent it. I mean, I, they need the tourists, but it like they need the tourists. Davenport, Iowa, like this doesn't. It's not like they have much of industry going on. Um, and if there's people interested, like a couple of guys going there just to check it out, making them into Rosencrantz and Guildenstern every single time. I mean, it's kind of bullshit, don't you think? Yeah, a little. I mean. I, I honestly question the wisdom of appealing to chargers in the first place as a key source for one's tourist industry. That seems like it would uh, be likely to cause some problems for things more than just your local economy. I mean, yeah, but if you've got, like, chargers, like, wandering in anyway, you might as well, like, have a gift shop. Sure. I feel like... You're probably going to lose more customers mentioning, as seen in the second edition of the Unknown Army's core book, than you're going to get. That's true. That's true. Like, that, that, that's, that, that tells me, like, oh, okay, this place is being watched by government sources. I don't want to stick around here any longer than I absolutely have to. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, but, I mean... And also keep in mind, this was written, like, 20 years ago, right? They may not be using that sort of strategy these days anymore. Denport may basically be a dead city at this point. Or dead town, I guess. It, it's, it's possible. You know, a, a, a lot of those uh, Midwest ex-manufacturing cities not done well in the past, <laughs> in the past two decades. So are you saying that, basically, it's... Romeo and Juliet, but they're both on fentanyl. You know, I think you, I, I think you may have something there. There we go. There we go. Uh, but it is an interesting section of the old document um, that we're looking at today. It is. Like, it, it's a nice thing as like a player facing primer of like, hey, here's the movers and shakers in the occult underground. When you're playing sort of like a global game, right? Like, okay. Right. You, your character is someone that has been around the block for a while. You know about these guys. These are sort of the rumors around. And some of these rumors might be total bullshit because, I mean, a lot of them haven't been mentioned since in any of the wargaming manuals. That's true. But I, I think there's more truth to a lot of these. It's more that there's a reason why Stolze didn't want to mention these. Yeah. Writing into... Third edition and the couple splat books that exist for second. And in some cases, he gives a lot of information later on, as in the case of the Ordo, which were like super oh, yeah. secretive. L- and... let's, let's be specific what we're talking about here. For yeah, the, yeah, uh, that's fair. It, that's like, fair. For the listeners at home, we are talking about uh, Unknown Army Second Edition, the fake role playing game that was actually a US government yes, yes, wargaming sure. handbook, specifically pages. 204 to 206 in the... the section the occult underground in quote-unquote book three the living mirror of heaven that's right which is sort of a player-facing overview of well yeah the moves and shakers in the occult underground as it existed in the early aughts uh you know you got sleepers order of saint cecil saint germain the true order of saint germain house of Annunciation, the freak all that stuff. And some of these groups are interesting because, you know, you get the Ordo Corpulentus getting probably their longest write-up to exist at that point, whereas before in earlier books, 
they were like yeah. hinted at as like this terrible uh, underground society that practiced cannibalism and were related to the American conservative movement in some way. Very spooky and uh, very mysterious. Whereas, you know, in third edition, they're just given like two pra- two pages laying out for all to see exactly what their deal is and who runs the show there. Right. Yeah. And it's clear that like based on what's here, the information they had must have been very limited. Like what was revealed later in third edition, it fits with the whole like it's mentioned that in second edition that they had a doctrine of overt cultural imperialism, which yep, yeah, that that follows. And they've sure. got of course the cannibalism. But the mention of taking communion and being hard to take down after taking communion. Like that does that's that's I don't know about that. That that didn't seem to translate over. So maybe that was um it was something they did like some misinformation of the time. Or maybe we've got new we've got misinformation now. Who knows? But there there were a couple that we were we, you know, we haven't basically haven't heard about these guys since and we figured like, hey, let's uh let's look into these guys a little bit, and see what's happened with three groups in particular since this was written. Find out what's real, what's fake. And, yeah, just kind of get an update on their status. And what were those three groups there, Thompson? So, um, the three groups that uh, have been selected um, are the Seven Invisible Chairs, the a group that's operating in Europe, uh, the second group is uh, what is called Al-Samawat Awamid, which is bad Arabic, um, it should be um, Awamid al-Samawat, probably, maybe not, um, meaning the Pillars of Heavens, or Pillars of Heaven, or the Pillars of the Skies, um, and they appear to be operating in the Iranian mountains. And we have uh, Le Inferno, um, who are operating at least in Sardinia, but which Sardinia? Mm, we'll get into that. So these are the three. We'll get into what these guys are all about. These are three groups that were mentioned in the second edition of Unknown Armies, along with Autocopulentus, and in the same, like, if if it were just, like, towards the end of this Occult Underground section, it was just, like, more and more random, um, unknown cabals. We could just write yeah. it off. But the fact that they're mixed in here with the Fellowship of Bad Traffic, the Sternos, and Dirk Allen... Um, suggests that no, that these are these are these are groups. These are serious groups that may have been intended to have some more intelligence documents released at some point. But because this is an extremely uh, niche game with a, a tiny but passionate fan base, those never got released. But we could do it. We could expand on these. Uh, no idea who wrote this section and what ideas they have. Whether it was Tyans or Stolzi or someone else. But let's 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 speculate and let's let's dig, dig up some things. Some of these, especially. Uh... Uh, the correct pronunciation was Awamid al Samawat, or the other way around. Well, it's 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 not the pronunciation so much as the um or the grammatical the, gram- the gram- grammatical yeah. order. Yeah. Yeah. So, those those guys get two fucking sentences. So I want to kind of go in order, sure. um, because I want to start off with the seven invisible chairs. Um, how about you read their paragraph out for the audience? So they know what 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 what's, what they got. If you if you can if you can handle this, this is one of the longer paragraphs that we can do yeah. today. I, I might need to take a breath at one point, but we'll see. All right, all right, all right. I didn't okay. know you breathed. You know, once in a while. The writings on the wall for the seven invisible chairs. They're still moving behind the scenes in Europe, using the proprietary rituals passed to their families to get rich, 
screw the aristocracy, and fight communism. But with motion detectors and infrared cameras, the invisibility shtick isn't so useful anymore. Their weapon salve is cool, but again, nothing to brag about in the age of laser surgery. Long-distance communication was a trump card in the Renaissance, but in the cell phone age, it's not worth the trouble. Mostly, though, their problem is the lack of enemies. They've succeeded too long, and they need to either find a new purpose, or they'll start screwing one another. It's happened a million times. So, yeah, these guys seem to be sort of a... I mean, pretty much everything that the sleepers inner circle thinks they are, but actually are, at least judging from this book. Old school, European, authentic thaumaturges, very sort of European secret society Illuminati shit. Right. This is definitely something that if it was going to be, like, expanded upon by any of the, the feds working on this game, um, it probably would have ended up in the grubby little elliptonic mitts of Kenneth Height. He'd probably do the best job of it, because he's into this sort of thing. But instead it's us! We're not Kenneth Height. But between the two of us, there's probably, like, a third of a Kenneth Height. A third of a Kenneth Height. A third of a Kenneth how did How did you know? How did you know I was growing one? Listen, I was wondering about the voice uh, that you had under the cover that kept recommending I use GURPS, so I ended up looking at it. Talking about GURPS and paleoconservatism. Anyway. Yeah, so this is very sort of classic Illuminati shit, though. Kind of with a spin of, these guys are out of date even in the early 2000s. A lot of their classic rituals that gave them the edge back in the days of the European Renaissance aren't too special nowadays. And, I mean, they still have networks of influence and wealth that they've accrued for hundreds of years, and that's nothing to sneer at, but generally to maintain that sort of thing in the long term, you need some sort of edge, and it sounds like they've lost that. Maybe. Perhaps they've lost it, or perhaps they've got it back. Um, My thoughts on the Seven Invisible Chairs is because they do sound like something like your classic sort of Rosicrucians, uh, Illuminati sort of thing. With some legitimate rituals from the sound of it. Yeah. Uh, proprietary rituals, remember, passed down through the family. Ah, so there's yes. lots of... In the right, I had... In my right book, I had the, the Kumyas, um, who have a similar sort of thing going on. Uh, Janet Kumya, the one of the founders of Mac Attacks, was from a family who uh, bred avatars. And there are lots of sort of those sort of families out there that, like, have one particular shtick, one particular ritual or magic school yeah. or avatar path that they're able to use. One little... Uh, killer app that they use related to the occult underground that they hoard to themselves. And I think that sort of thing was quite, like, common back in the day. Um, I mean, it seems to be common now. We have another example in the canon, which is one of the members of Plex Echo. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, Exactly. Yeah. These are sort of people who, like, sort of clung... They they cling on to their magic and their rituals and um, their money. um, And they don't really like it when they discover the occult underground. Sometimes they can miss the occult underground completely because they're not, not moving in the same circles. Now, doing a bit of a little uh, Google search on the seven invisible chairs in the context of unknown armies, I didn't find anything at all except one link. One uh, reference. Yes. <laughs> From a friend of the show, even. Was it? Who, who, who is this? I believe Psychic Mayhem oh, psychic, is... Um... Oh, Psychic May- Mayhem. Psychic Mayhem's uh, campaign... Um, well, he did, this is back in 
uh, what was it, 20, 2014? Uh, yeah, this is before 3rd edition even was anything. So this may have been playtest. This may have been playtest for 3rd edition. Noting from the uh, sort of timeline. No, 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 no. He was running the Ascension of the Magdalene. All right. I think. Um, anyway, so because uh, Psychic Mayhem ran this, and he did have, I don't know what uh, Psychic uh, wanted to, should I call him Psychic or should I call him Mayhem? Um, I'll call him Mayhem. Just, just call um, him Stuart. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh. <laughs> Psychic Stuart. So, uh, there was a mention of the Seven Invisible Chairs. Uh, but so I had a look in uh, the ascension of the Magdalene in that in that very odd document um, with its <laughs> with its filthy filthy. We really need to do an stats. episode of that at one point I because guess. that it's such, it's such a fun little artifact. It is a fun little artifact of that of that period of time. Let's let's make Ananami's T twenty rules. Uh, and what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Just get uh, get Monte Cook involved. Um, anyway, there wasn't much on the Seven Invisible Chairs in there. There was about information about the Rosicrucians, um, yeah. who are famously known as the Invisible College. Uh, and this gets starts to get a bit confusing when you've got Invisible Clergy, Invisible College, and the Seven Invisible Chairs. Well, and we know that the Rosicrucians have a certain degree of involvement with the Occult Underground, or at least they used to. Yes, yes, uh, of course, but... It's it's sort of like how the Scientologists do, and like all these yeah. sort of like semi occult mainstream. I sort of feel with any sort of big organization, when you got your Illuminatis, you got your Golden Dawns, you got all these sort of people. Some of them in there are, are are woke to the occult underground, and some of them are just you know posers or just you know along to meet like minded people. Now, what is interesting to me is that there is a character in. Ascension of the Magdalene, um, called his name Kelly Edward Kelly. Edward, Ke- oh yeah, Edward Kelly. You, yes. do you not know about Edward Kelly? That's not a kid. There was a guy. Oh, that was a guy. It was a, a full guy. Okay, no, I don't know about Edward. Yeah, Kelly. that was the guy who swapped wives with John D. Oh shit. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I don't. Yeah. Know. Okay, so you know more about this. Sort of thing. Yeah, angelic wife swapping because God told me to. Of course, God always tells. Like, yeah, he's always involved in that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, this is this is real history. This like this is documented. <laughs> oh my God! I'm just... Like, and it is what soured their relationship. Um, and I believe afterwards, Kelly ended up. Uh, yeah, he ended up uh, moving out of the court of Rudolph the second afterwards. Fair enough. Oh my God! Very classic alchemist slash grifter. Claimed to hold the secrets to transmuting metals into gold. Uh, knew how to make the Philosopher's Stone, all that sort of crap. Oh, yeah. Okay, fair enough. And because of that, you should definitely let me fuck your wife, John. Absolutely. It's what God wants. That, that, and then D was like, oh, that, that makes sense to me. Okay, I didn't know it was a real guy. And, and to make things fair, you can fuck my wife, too. That, that, fair is fair. Fair is fair. <laughs> what comes up must come down. All this sort of thing. Um, so yeah, find real, out why he was called John D. Real life, real life, um, real life cult figure, uh, started as a fourth level human rogue and fourth level sorcerer uh, in the OGL stats. <laughs> uh, it seems a bit. It's not uh, that high. Um, 
Uh, that's pretty decently high for, like, a standard human. I, I think Jesus in Testament D20 is, like, level 12 or something. Jesus is only level 12? All right, fair enough. I mean, there's the whole, there's the whole cliche of Gandalf is only level 12. Wait, wait, wait. Right? In the Testament RPG, like, Jesus has stats? Uh, I think so, but is it, is, it is, might is, have been one of those, like, we don't stat the Lady of Pain sort of deals. Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, if you're going to give Jesus stats, like, that's giving, like, giving Cthulhu stats. It means that the players are going to try to defeat Jesus. Um, and what a great battle that would be running over these running over the water. Um, you're in a boat. I mean, yeah, let's kill Jesus would be a fun campaign, but and sacrilegious. I mean, like he already dies, like he comes back, but like, like he does die at one point. That's kind of an important part of it. Okay, upon further inspection, he Jesus is not stated. Jesus is not stated, but Moses. David and Daniel are. Okay, how about this? How about this? How about this? The, here's, here's the campaign idea, right? Um, the death of Jesus is required for the salvation of mankind. Um, we know this from Christianity. We could just take Michael Moorcock's Behold the Man. The whole the hand being someone goes back in time to look for Jesus and realizes that there is no Jesus and becomes Jesus and like gets crucified and becomes takes that role of Jesus. Uh, so it's like that sort of setup. People are going back in time to kill, like to see Jesus, um, but God is real, and it's a Christian universe with time travel. But yeah. Jesus has decided he doesn't want to be crucified and is trying to run away. And so God comes out of the clouds and goes down to these time travelers from the future. You have to capture, you have to kill Jesus, or else everyone's going to hell. There we go. That's the, that's the campaign. This Testament RPG seems just rife for misuse. <laughs> um, just do a. Just do a Gnostic campaign using the Testament RPG. Isn't that the best kind of RPG material, though? That's true. That's true. That's like, it, it's sort of like, um, it reminds me, what's that stupid, um, one of the, like, really bad games, the um, the really racist game? Uh, what is it? Uh, You're going to need to be a lot Rahua, Rahua, that's that, it. But... Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Racial Holy War, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember reading, like a, like, one of those sort of reviews on it, and someone brought up the point that, like, the whole point of Rahawa is meant to be about white supremacy. But if you look at the stats, like, like, the, like the player, like the average, like NPC white is worse off in stat wise. So it's kind of contradictory in the whole, in, even within the game itself. Does that make any sense? No, I get what you mean. Probably the reason for that is like you know, in this situation, black people are filling the position of orcs, so to speak. Where it's like, okay, we need to have these people statted up so they can be decent combatants. Like, a, a decent, like, challenge, I guess. Yeah, that's the idea. It's but the it, logic it, that went into that. It's kind of... It's fucked up, It's, contradict like, it's also contradictory like the for what they're yeah. trying to argue. Well, yeah, this is very typical for these sorts of ideologies. Their enemy is simultaneously... That's true. ...far weaker yeah. than them and far stronger than that's them. That's true. Yeah, that's the old, um... It was Umberto Eco, wasn't it? Uh, was it someone else? Yeah. Uh, Probably young. Yeah, no, I believe that's our fascism, yeah. Yeah. Good essay. Uh, back to Edward Kelly. Ignoring the OGL stats, please. Let's look at the <laughs> real <Ruel> stats. <laughs> All right, yeah. Lay it on me. Um, he is described <laughs> as being an entropomancer, but entropomancer is a very different thing, they say, in the uh, Renaissance era in 1600s uh, Prague. All right. It says, in this era, anthropomancy isn't quite the same as it becomes. 
Kelly gains his charges from using faked magic effects to deceive the wealthy and powerful. He can then use the charges to produce real magical effects as long as they are strictly for himself. Uh, for the purposes of simplicity, use the standard entropomancy rules. Come on. Already, like, okay. And then they come up with a spell, an entropomancy formula spell, called Distractions of the World, which causes the caster to be effectively invisible. Not really, really invisible, because it's just like a, a distraction mm. thing. Um, failures of notice rolls. But it is an invisibility spell. And if you do look at the OGL stats, he's given a second level invisibility spell which is like real-ass invisibility. Um, yes, yeah. And this ties in very nicely with the description of the seven invisible chairs. And it makes me think, the description of using the proprietary rituals passed down through their families to get rich, screw the aristocracy, and fight communism. Um, I like the idea of a school of magic or like an old-school school of magic that's still like sort of, like it's become so ritualized. Maybe it's like, um, I like this idea yeah. that old old adept formula spells becoming rituals over time um but i like the charging method of bamboozling the rich and powerful with fake magic and i think you could still use that in the modern era maybe it got weaker over time this doesn't sound like entropomancy this sounds kind of like its own thing a, co- a cool thing but like it, yeah it's something that's discreet maybe it started as a is a offshoot of entropomancy in some way. Maybe it's entropomancy. Maybe it was just... Maybe that was the name they called it because, like, it sounded yeah. cool. Um, it was like, we are chaos magicians. <laughs> but, like, there was... I mean, was entropy even, like, a concept at that point? That is a... I mean, I think so. Uh, let's look at et- the etymology of entropy. Uh, History. Um... No, I don't... History of Entropy. I mean, that's a pretty long timeline, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, it looks like it... Mid-19th was century. codified... Yeah. Codified in... Uh, 1803? No, okay, that's... um, Sort of the original concept. Of Wait it. a minute, here we um, go. There is a Latin... Trope... Like, ancient Greek trope, which is transformation. Trope. A transformation. So it could be a completely different etymology here we got. So contents of a transformation is sort of the yeah. literal meaning of it. Well that So that could that's just yeah, I can, that's alchemy. I can kind of see it. That's al- that's just alchemy. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's just, but um, like you're I guess you're transforming uh it, it's it's transforming like fake magic into real magic, yeah. I'm. It's kind of a reach. It's kind of a, kind reach, of a reach, but also it's the Renaissance and people are coming up with names for things. Um, it doesn't have to be a good name; it just has to be a cool name or sound cool to them. Um, or maybe this is like another false flag document. Um, I don't think uh, the the point is that we shouldn't worry about it because it's clearly not postmodern entropomancy. Here we go. Here we go. Entrope apparently can mean shame or respect and reverence, and that seems a bit more relevant here. Ooh, sort of magic from feigned obsequience to authority. Oh, entropy. Oh, interesting. Yeah, very. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that that fits. Entropy, Mancy. 
that's cool. Now, I don't mind when, like, there's, like, terminology clashes and things that don't make sense because that's just, like, you know, that's just how language works. Like, two things can mean yeah, the same word can mean two different things. but the label of atropomancy as used here felt more like as a mechanical shorthand than sure. anything accurate for the time period. Yeah, because they do say use the standard atropomancy rules, but that's boring compared to the idea of like, I like charging off bamboozling the wealthy and powerful with magic. Yeah, um, that's good. That's something you can see people like John D. Edward Kelly, like real world alchemists, like for a long time doing that. And that's a strong, like, there's a paradox in there. Like, uh, you're just, you're getting real magic from fake magic. You're drawing from the power of belief and gullibility um, from those with the most power. Um, you're pulling the you're pulling the wool over people's eyes, Rasput type people. So it sounds like kind of what's intended here is that the seven invisible chairs are the only people that really have access to the school, though. So is that still the case? Is my question. I think well, maybe it's it's leaked out. Um, it does suggest that they've kept these proprietary rituals in their families. Families plural. Um, and I'm yeah. thinking maybe the seven invisible chairs refers to not necessarily actual chairs, but like a position, like a, a chairperson, a chair, which is yeah. almost okay. like I looked at the history of the word chairperson or chairman or chair, and it, 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 it kind of fits almost, even though it wasn't as commonly used, but why not? Uh, we, we know there's definitely multiple families. We know that they've got... Um, at least three rituals, um, at least in, t- in 2003, they had these three rituals. Um, I think that these rituals... Assuming those aren't formula spells, is the thing. Yeah, that's it, that's it. They could be. Um, and what they've got here, they're not that bad. I mean, being invisible, yes, motion detectors and infrared cameras will... Yeah, they'll catch you, but um, it's still kind of useful. Like, it's not as useful. Yeah, yeah and a-, a lot of these... Spells seem to be, like, kind of nipped in the bud more by the fact that, fundamentally, who these guys are hobnobbing with is the wealthy and often the paranoid people that have infrared cameras and motion detectors hooked up on their houses. There you go. That's true. That's true. Maybe it's a matter of, like, the the tactics that they're used to using aren't appropriate for the fact that those technologies now exist um, or weren't appropriate in 2003. They do mention there's one... Like, being able to... The weapon self, being able to... Like, I assume that's... I like the idea of a spell or a ritual that that can heal you, but only from weapons damage, not from anything else. <laughs> Just weapons damage only. Um, that's kind of fun. Um, well, yeah, what do they mean by laser surgery? Because what I interpreted from that was, like, cosmetic, plastic surgery sort of stuff. It's like, okay, is, a, is the weapon salve something they can use to, like change their appearance why is it called the weapon cell then i need a new face quickly quick shoot me um, yeah yeah <laughs> that's fun actually. you know i think laser surgery i think like eye surgery it's like okay is the weapon cell can, can they fix their eyesight with it i guess what the fuck what the fuck is this i'm i'm um i'm imagining that the famous scene with um what's his name from game of thrones the, the, the faceless man when he turns away from Arya and turns back and it's a different guy. It's like that scene, but he turns away and shoots himself in the face and turns back and he's a different man. Um, 
So that's fun. Okay, that's fun. Sure, sure. Okay, Just so yeah, let's say don't, don't it's roll a weapon a cell fail. because to, for it to work, you need to load it into a firearm of some sort. Yes. There you go. There we go. Um, although it is called a salve, which is meant to be like a healing thing. But I like our interpretation more. Well, yeah, you just you shoot it and it splatters all over your face. There you go. There you go. Now, they do mention that long-distance communication was a trump card in the Renaissance, but it's not so useful now in the cell phone age. Yeah. But I think that now in, the, in this period of time, with your Facebooks and your phone always listening in and the post-9-11, uh, uh, all that sort of bullshit with the, the government's always listening in and Facebook's always listening in and everything's going on, Long distance communication that can't be hacked or doesn't need and doesn't need to be encrypted is quite useful. Yeah, there's something to be said there. Though they don't really fight against governments that much, and mostly governments are going to be the people that are, you know, monitoring uh, broad methods of communication. Yeah, but the rich seems like they mostly just care about fucking around with the aristocracy, which is you know still exists to a certain degree. But what this sort of Renaissance notion of aristocracy. They're, those guys don't have nearly as much power nowadays. When I was reading, like, um, thinking about what was in Ascension of the Magdalene, the idea of, like, bamboozling the aristocracy, um, I thought about, and magic, using magical magic to bamboozle the aristocracy, I started to think about um, how many, like, bullshit woo products have been sold to, like, the investors on Dragon's Den. With like this is magical water, uh-huh. or this is sure, like sure. this is quantum cavitate, no quantum what, uh, entanglement shoes and shit like that. And I'm thinking, <laughs> like, if you were to do like a modern like revival of these ever invisible chairs, like a new generation, they might lean more into that sort of thing. Like, that's yeah. kind of what I was thinking too. Yeah, people like a if there's a new generation of them that are you know maybe a. They're getting the memo about a century late, but fucking with the wealthy, uh, like the independently wealthy business owners and such, rather than uh, the aristocracy, or maybe they fuck with both. I have a I have a um a theory, a spicy theory about why they haven't done this for the last like fifty. Like I think they're doing it now. I think there's if you're gonna have these several invisible chairs, this is a more fun way to have them. They're like getting money magic from like selling woo to wealthy people. But they didn't do that for a while. And I'm thinking, like, why didn't they do that earlier? Because there were plenty of people in, like, the 19th and 20th centuries that did exactly that, like, selling, like, some spiritualism or selling some fake technology or whatever to and getting some investment, pulling one over on the wealthy and powerful. Happened a lot. And there was lots of opportunities, not just with, like, traditional magic, but with modern magic. I think there's still room for that, too. I think there's still room for traditional magic in that. I remember seeing a video uh, a few months back of David Blaine, of all fucking people, hobnobbing with Jeff Bezos. Oh, oh there you go. And just, like, you know, keeps doing all these tricks for him. Like, a lot of his classic sleight of hand shit, but Jeff seems to be fucking loving yes. it. Especially when... <laughs> One fucking he takes a bite out of his wine glass. All you need to do um, is like convince them, like someone like Jeff Bezos or an Elon Musk or whoever, um, just take them, like look around and take them aside and say, like, actually, sir, there, there's something I, I can't show very many people. Like, this is very, like, this is some real stuff. This is the real stuff. But I know you understand something. Like, just like let them in on, like, actually, there's some real magic. And then done. You've got your charge. You you just fooled Elon Musk by pulling a rabbit out of a hat. 
They, they, they need to actually be seeking your guidance yes. in these sorts of matters. It, it can't just be like, okay, they're entertained by the like magic tricks you're pulling. They, they, they need to think, like, oh, God, this guy has actual power. I need to find that's a lesson right. to him. And that's why you could have um, people who... I, w- I was thinking of doing, like, if you're going to give them like a bit of a dark history um, that they've sort of moved away from, having the seven invisible chairs being involved in those bullshit, what are they called, the Wunderwaffen? Like the Nazi, like, um, like amazing weapons that they put money in that didn't work half the time or were too expensive. Yeah, yeah. You could have had the seven invisible chairs. Like, like the fact that the fascists were dumb as hell means that they were easy to... If you promised them something, you could, you know, get some charges off that. But in post-war era, the seven invisible chairs might have looked at each other and been like, that was that was bad, or we shouldn't have done that, that was fucked up, and we should go back to the old way of doing things, just to traditional magic. Yeah, because you are still colluding with Nazis, yeah. Nazis and fascists. Like, even if it's to fleece them, you are still, like... Uh, probably on some level, like, helping that's them right. out. That's right. And well, you could say that they still did it for a while because um, it does mention that they've uh, spent a lot of time fighting communism. Yeah, so there, there could also be an element of, like, okay, these guys were, like, sincerely helping anti-communist groups, which are often pretty yeah, much not... <laughs> the same, identical to fascist right, groups. Right. And then after a while realized... Oh wait, shit. Okay, maybe not. Sure. Um, if you if you were doing like a campaign set in the mid twentieth century or something like that, it might be ha- fun to have like two of the seven invisible chairs are in like fascist Portugal and Spain, respectively. So they still got a bit of that um, that tone, and it could be like a bit of the it's like, it's the skeletons in the closet kind of thing. That it, I think in a modern yeah. campaign you'd want to have it as a skeleton in the closet, but I think. It depends yeah. if you want to have them as the like the villains of the campaign or or what. Well, I think any decent group needs some sort of sympathetic edge to them. Right, right. right? Like either because their goals are noble or their motives are noble. I do like. So they mentioned that they need to find a new purpose, or they'll start screwing with each other because they've. It's, they say it's happened a million times before, so and because it's multiple families passing through these rituals and having these seven invisible chairs, it does suggest to me a sort of. Is it families? Is the thing. It is families. Yeah, but like, I mean, families in the traditional sense. Could this maybe be families in the more sort of Roman aristocracy sense, where there's cool. like a lot of adoption and shit going on? That Yeah, I don't see why not. Uh, give them a bit of that, that classical edge, too. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of that they're, they're this sort of behind the scenes. They're the. Uh, they want to get rich. Um, they're not aristocrats in the classic sense. They use their magic to get rich. It says get rich and not stay rich. And I wonder if they just have a bad time hanging on to money. Um, they're these like... Yeah, probably. I mean, like, I, I like these guys as sort of like an Illuminati that, like, you investigate for a bit and realize, like, oh, wait, these guys aren't, like, pulling any sorts of strings. They're just convincing the rich that they're pulling strings. They All they want is money. Like, they, they just want money and then they fucking leave. They want money, and they would be a rich. They would be a powerful, like string pulling cabal behind the doors in the halls of Europe. But they keep fucking with yeah. each other, and they're, 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 they're their own worst enemies because there's too many egos involved. Yeah, any time they've like tried to actually like leverage their influence to like actually direct power, they all end up turning on each other. So they've kind of learned over the years, like all right. 
the best way to maintain the balance of power here is if our only goal is to just extract wealth from these people. And, you know, they never learn their lesson, really. But uh, most of the time, they're just... Their relationships with the wealthy are purely extractive. They aren't actually, like, playing the scheming vizier most of the time. And it seems to me that if we did that form of entropomancy or tropomancy, like, most of the time, they're just... They're, they're taking charges from the wealthy. Uh, but they might not be that great at actually getting money from the investment from the wealthy. Um, they might get they might be able to get a patron for a short period, uh, but then the patron yeah. gets disillusioned and it happens over and over again. Um, I do like the idea of a, like a campaign setup being a bit like the TV show Succession, uh, where one of the yeah. one of the chairs is sure. old and about to die, and his children. Um, yeah, if, if we do it Roman style, and some of them are adopted. Uh, adopted. They're all magicians um, who have magical powers if they bamboozle the wealthy, and they're all scrambling for influence while also dealing with the other families which are trying to, like, screw them over. Uh, that, that could be a fun setup. So let's say that entropomancy is a, like, a school. So we got, like, we'd say, like, the sig charge would be... Uh, yeah, what what would the, like what would the charges be? What would some of the we have some of the formula spells? I'd say a major would be something like either a major or a sig would be convince someone of a certain net worth or certain like a way to quantify their power, a certain powerful person become their guru, like mechanically speaking. If you are a powerful person's guru, then you get some sort of big charge, either sig or major. What about if you have to to get the minor charge and to get any of the charges you can only you can only charge from someone who's got a higher status score than you okay okay that's good so that's good bamboozling people who like the, the common folk is not going to do shit you have to like and also it encourages them to have low status scores yeah. and stay scrounging you you want to have like a low status but also be wealthy right you want to be an extremely Extremely unlikable and extremely wealthy. And the only reason they hated communism was because, one, they stole the name chair, chairman. Chairman was this, the communists used it too much. They were just <laughs> fucking with the, the terminology. It, it, it upset the, symb- the symbology behind it, exactly. Right. And two, and two um, they discovered that they couldn't extract magic from commissars. Uh, it didn't work. It was too tied in with... Like, it was a magical school that developed along with capitalism in Europe in the early modern era. Yeah. And it, it just didn't work with communism. Um, it worked fine in post-communist Russia with the oligarchs running around. And there's another campaign idea, like the uh, invisible chairs coming in and trying to take over Russia. Yeah, pretty solid. That's a conceptually. Yeah, that's solid. How do they get a SIG? That's the, uh... You'd have to get someone who's like... Willing to do something. Well, let's look you. at Kelly. Let's let's look at Edward Kelly here. Yeah, like um, what was he doing that would be getting him charges? You had to sleep with someone's wife. I don't know. Um, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, no, it's just too much like a uh, sitted cuckoldry. No, that's how that's how you get. That's actually how you get the major. There you go. Trust me, dude. It'll work. I swear. <laughs> uh, no, actually, that that's an interesting. Like, so maybe the sig is have someone become someone powerful's guru. Right. And then the major is you convince someone powerful to do something humiliating. Right. That could that could work. Um, yeah. Convince someone to buy Twitter based on your... Um, there you go. Saying, your Har- Harris says you should buy Twitter. You'll be really popular. Anyway, I think that we could go into depth any on these guys. Um, but I do want to talk about yeah, these other two absolutely. as well. 
before time passes too much. Um, I think that the, the vague outlines of that group, that's pretty solid, don't you think? I would agree. I would agree. I, it does help that we have like a solid example to draw from, that being Edward Kelly. And spinning him as a guy that's part of some century-spanning con artist cabal is, I think, a fun spin on Edward Kelly. He actually is a real occultist, just not how you think he is. That's right. That's right. That sort of shit. He, he, was, a, he was a con artist and a wizard. He was a, he was a con artist wizard and a wizard con artist. Ah. Sometimes you don't need a fake wizard. Sometimes you need a fake wizard. There you go. Or a fake, fake wizard? <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Emphasize on the wizard. Um, all right. All right. Let's move on uh, to our next group. Uh, let's move down away from Europe into uh, the lands of Persia, lands of Iran. Uh, please, can you read out the, the, uh, the very short little uh, thing for me here? Same goes for the cloudy domains of al Samawat al-Amid. If the Shiite fundamentalist or the USAF haven't killed them all by now, you might still run into an Amud above the Zargos, Elburz, and Macron ranges. And that's all we've got for Al-Zamawat Awamid, or more accurately, uh, let's, uh, I want to talk first on the name. We Okay, we've worked out that it shouldn't be that. I've, uh, I've conferred no, with the my... grammar's way off. I've conferred with my Arabic-speaking source. No, it doesn't make sense. It should be Awamid Al-Zamawat if you want to say the pillars of the heavens or the pillars of heaven. Um, Samawat is a plural because in Islam there are seven heavens, uh, seven Judaism and, and Babylonian mythology, uh, seven heavens, and Awamid is the plural for pillars or columns. Uh, the other word used there, Amud, is the singular. So uh, an Amud is one pillar. Um, now, what's interesting to me is, depending on how you... Because it's messed up, you can move it around in different ways. If you put Awamid first, Awamid al-Samawat, you've got the pillars of the heavens, your pillars of heaven... And I said, or the well, heaven of pillars. That's what I said. And I was like, hey, what about if it was somewhat al Awamid? And my Arabic source said, that doesn't make any fucking sense. And I said, don't worry about conceptual sense. Does it make grammatical sense? And yes, it makes grammatical sense. But what? <laughs> <laughs> so that, I don't know, it's something to think about. Um, the skies of the pillars, the heavens of the pillars. And. And my Arabic source was like, what, 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 how does, what does that even mean? I'm like, well, imagine you're walking through the desert and there's like a whole bunch of pillars. And every time you walk between two pillars, there's a different sky above. There's like each pillar has its own sky. It could work. It could work conceptually. See, were just the name, I would think like, okay, maybe this is just like a weird like geographical feature, right? There's just like in certain areas above uh, Iranian mountains, mm -hmm. you can see pillars up in the sky. Sure, but the fact that... It specifically says, if the Shiite fundamentalists or the USAF haven't killed them all. Yes. It's like, okay, there's guys up there. there, there there's dudes. Who are these dudes? What are they up to? And you're, they're, it's referring to the Awamid. Uh, the, so the, the pillars, uh, it seems to be, it's something that can die. Um, and I think it's, yeah, I think it's definitely guys. Because every, this whole section is not about uh, unnatural entities. It's about human groups. Um, and in various, uh, Middle Eastern, like, uh, religious traditions and things like that, you can refer to, you do, there is, uh, references to people as, like, for example, like, calling a person a door, a bub, or calling a person a hijab, a veil, like, there's, like, words that, like, it's like saying, like, the chair, like, it could be a title, 
Like, if someone is... Uh, this is just my theory, that Amud could refer to the title or the a type of person being a pillar, um, which is why the, U- the USAF and CF fundamentalists can kill them, rather than being, you know, just, just your, your cloud pillars, your cloud cities. I mean, I think having some sort of UA excuse for having cities in the clouds is pretty dope. I'm a big fan of the whole flying city trope. It's fun. It's a very classic sort of mythological uh, folklore uh, device, but it's one that I'm very fond of. Very, it always instills a sort of childlike wonder in me. The thing that sort of comes to mind with this, what is the main source that Unknown Armies likes to steal from? Real occultism in history and twisting it uh, often. Which authors work specifically? Oh, okay. So we're going into um, Tim Powers. We're we going into. De- Are we going to declare? Oh no! The second edition of Unknown Armies came out in two thousand two, and Declare came out in two thousand. Ah, it's okay. Yes. So you think it's 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 related to Declare? Yes, I could see it being sort of the kind of framing device for Unknown Armies spin on Jin. Would probably be the big one. I mean, there's obviously guys up there. And, you know, we're... Unknown Armies is all about that humanocentrism, baby. That's right. But it's it's described as the cloudy domains. Because, okay, in the, 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 the paragraph, it starts off with same goes for the cloudy domains of Alamid al-Samawad. Um, that is referring to the previous uh, paragraph, which is referring to the other spaces of Australia, that ends with the sentence, they're interesting to visit, but you wouldn't want to die there. Same goes for the cloudy domains of uh, Awamid al-Samawad. So, like, there's they the, the these Awamid they clearly have cloudy domains, um, and Jin are not made of clouds; they're made of fire. Uh, I don't know if it fits. I don't know if it fits. Yeah, but as described in Declare, they tend to operate in the air a lot. That they, is they, true. They need to be guys that there's can't like be a lot Jin. of association between them. Yes, no, but they could be guys that. Uh, have convinced others they're Jin, or have some, and maybe have some sorts of powers commonly associated with Jin. Mm, mm. Now, I was trying to think of like what would be a reason why both the Shiite Shia fundamentalists and the USAF would want to kill these people um, in the clouds. And well, Air Force makes sense. <laughs> yes, and I think Shiite fundamentalists is just kind of use being spoken generically as like a. Reference to the Iranian government. I was thinking that, but I was thinking, like, why did they specify, like, yeah, Shiite fundamentalists? Like, just say the Iranian government. And it's true that... It is strange. It is odd. And there are different groups, like, uh, there are different groups of fundamentalists, uh, Shiite fundamentalists in Iran, with varying levels of access, varying levels of power, because there's, like, different subgroups. Um, You've got your modernist or reformers, you've got your neo-fundamentalists who dislike modernity but are happy to use the bits of it uh like like nuclear weapons and cars and guns and whatnot um and you have the traditionalists who dislike but they are neutral towards modernity they're more into nature and like a, a traditional way of life sort of thing and they don't have as much power although you know they, they, these are these are broad like ideological strains within a a, a, a religion within political. shia islam yeah. yes um and specifically Iranian to Islam, although yeah, it is. Are there any particular like sects of 
uh, Shia Islam that are often associated with the mountains of Iran, because that could be what's going on here. It's specifically uh, a sect or a few sects that operate in those regions that uh, the pillars of heaven tend to operate in, and that puts them in conflict with each other. One thing that I was interested that came across that might be related, because I was thinking of, if you're thinking of, like, your standard, your bog standard, uh, classic, everyone knows them, cult conspiracies, what occult conspiracy do you associate with Iran? Um, the Zoroastrian oil demon that exists beneath the, the country? No. Um, that, that, that's secret knowledge, we can't talk about that. I mean, the assassins. Oh, yes, of course. Now... The assassins are interesting, but I wanted I wanted to do a spin on this because <laughs> was way off on that one. <laughs> I wanted to see if you would get that. Um, now the assassins are uh, were a uh, basically they were basically people who went and assassinated um, enemies yeah, of the, yeah. the state. Is the whole hash thing like just apocryphal, or it's is, abs- is there actual like truth behind that? It's pretty much apocryphal comes from the fact that um, a word um, that meant uh, hashish smoker ha- was b- yeah. was basically used as a term to denote just like outcasts or rabble. It's like um, the idea like the word pothead had become like a word. It, it was it was a, a, one of those things where different words that sounded similar got melded together and Europeans mixed uh-huh. things up and they said, oh, okay, so this this ancient guild of uh, political uh, act, operatives uh, actually are all just hash. blazing it all the time. That's right. I feel like that would be a bad move for or organization of assassins. They were basically... Um, 11th, 12th century special forces for Nizari Ismailism within the Fatimid Caliphate, I think. But anyway, within Iran, um, they they were special forces. They were they were assassin ninjas from Iran. Um, but what I'm more interested in is doing a spin on the idea based on the apocryphal um, association with hashish, because in Iran, uh, cannabis is illegal, um, but the law is not strictly enforced, um, and there is a long history of uh, cannabis smoking, going back to the 13th century, um, attributed to a man named uh, Sheikh Haydar, who was a Persian Sufi saint, and he is known, he followed an ascetic discipline, he was very much ascetic, like, because the Sufis are very much the mystics of Islam. Um, they, they do the, the yeah, dervishes, yeah. and there's lots of different traditions. And they are often, uh, well, not often, they, they are often persecuted by the Iranian state and various states in the Middle East because they are not easily controlled. And they say, they believe and say a lot of things which makes the more mainstream uh, Islamic scholars think it's not right. It's, um, I don't know, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting... Um, a dynamic there, but this guy Haydar, he was an ascetic, following that uh, sort of ascetic lifestyle as a Sufi until he happened to eat some marijuana. Um, and took to eating it constantly, and he popularized it by in his writings. And it, the use of cannabis migrated to Iraq, Syria, and Egypt in the 13th century, where it was known as Haydar's Lady or the Wine of Haydar. He founded a an order of medicant dervishes called the Haydaria, um, who were known for their celibacy, 
and self-mortification through piercing their own bodies with iron rings. Now, later, there was a book called uh, Kashif al-Azra, or Unveiling the Secrets, which was written as a kind of debunking book, um, which claimed that members of the Haderia Dervish Order took hashish before staging their performances of self-mutilation in order to numb the pain. Basically, this book was basically a, 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 a way... They were trying to expose magic tricks and, like, beggar dodges and, like, this sort of thing. I mean, yeah, when you're on painkillers, uh, stoicism's a lot easier just to ask Marcus Aurelius. There you go. Well, this is interesting. I like the idea of this, is like, self-mutilation cult. Because uh, in, there are groups within Islam that practice self-mutilation, but mainstream Islam doesn't like it um, that much. Well, is it mutilation or mortification? Because those are kind of... Yeah, mortification. But similar but yeah, different things. Yeah, sure. And I wonder if, like, this is something that if this a group like that was powerful enough to fly over the mountains, the because of the Iranian government's occasional persecution of Sufis, it would make sense that they would like them. I like the idea that it's not the government so much as like traditionalists who are not really involved in politics but are like um mm. supportive of the government it's a religious uh conflict it's not a Perhaps. secular one with religious backing yes i'm thinking i'm thinking it's not like the state itself because they're not talking they didn't say like the iranian government or the iranian authorities or the iranian military they said shia fundamentalists which makes me think no it's not necessarily an official like um government policy to go after the Awamid, but there might be groups. It's up something similar to the Order of Saint uh, Cecil, maybe, or something a bit more than that. The fact that they also involve um, some some self modification, iron rings and all that. Add some color. Maybe, Add some color. Maybe they're into suspension, but they're suspending themselves from the pillars of heaven. I mean, if you're tying to the gin stuff, I could see these guys. I mean. Uh, UA doesn't have a school of fire magic. You know, that's always something you see the fan base bring up a ton and, and, you know, come up with their own spins on that idea. But, I mean, perhaps it's a bit hacky, but I think it's fun enough that I'm willing to willing to look past it. A uh, Iranian order of pot-smoking fire mages living in the skies. That's kind of fun. I can fuck with that. It is. It 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 works. Be, it would have been a lot edgier in two thousand two when this was written. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now it's it's yeah. There is some interesting. Um, I was searching for like like what is if if we're gonna identify it with a uh, Sufism, what's something that links a Sufism with clouds? Um, and I did find an article all about um. Ibn Arabi, who was a uh, another Sufi dude who developed a cosmic uh, ontology, a cosmic a cosmology that refers to something called Ama, Ama, which means a thin and subtle cloud, which is a reference to the divine breath, the primordial cloud that was right. created when God differentiated the forms of the world, and this is linked with divine imagination. It's viewed as uh, it's it's uh, I, I, it's it's a whole bunch it's a whole bunch of like deep theology here 
that I'm not going to get into too much, but it is associated with uh, divine imaginary imagination power of God in creating the universe and linked with Platonism and the monad and all these sorts of things, which you find if you get into the, right. the heady levels of Islamic uh, philosophy, like Plato, Plato's there. He's always there. Yeah. And that's something that could be interesting, um, some form of hashish-based uh, creation magic. Also involving certification. Right. I mean, fire magic tends to also involve be associated with creation. Shows up in lots of myths, but then also you know the forge and whatnot, right? I mean, fuck, look at Prometheus for to reach towards something extremely obvious. That's a good point. That's a good point. I like the idea that these these guys, the Almir, they don't they maybe they just sort of want to be left alone to deal with their Sufi business, which is um, uh, about like becoming the perfect human becoming closer to god in different ways um trances and meditation and all these sorts of things different traditions yeah but a a a sect of sufi hermits keeping themselves uh, up in the iranian mountains isn't uh isn't really something to center a campaign around you know you want to have something a bit more interactable and ideally something that's uh, shown a certain degree of initiative so why would players seek these guys out it could be. I was trying to think of like why the USAF is dealing with them. Because they're in they're in contested airspace would be my guess. Yeah, I'm wondering. You could tie it into like when this book was written. I can imagine the like a uh, a group within the USAF being like these are clearly like Saddam's like weapons in the sky. Uh, we have to take them out. Well, yeah. Thank God there hasn't been any changes in this region of the world in the past twenty years. It'd be uh, way harder to keep this up to date if there if there were that sort of thing that you'd have to worry about. There's one interesting article I found, 2018, where um, an official within the Iranian government uh, claimed that Israel and an unnamed neighboring country was stealing Iran's clouds. Mmm. And yeah, this could tie into a lot of fun uh, weather control conspiracy stuff. Yes, yes. It was very much. It was very much all about. Um, how Israel had some sort of harp level technology that was um, stealing the snow, stealing the, the rain, stealing the well, of course. causing droughts. So maybe this isn't fire magic. Maybe that's kind of the historical origin of it, but maybe it's heat magic. And that can, of course, be used to, on a large scale, to control the weather. Maybe. Yeah, that would be something that, yeah, the government could get angry at. Maybe it's, um, maybe the. Yeah. Almeida pushing back. And one of the reasons they're so hard to find is to dive back into the gin. One of the abilities that gin are often said to have is to appear like smokeless fire. Especially, you know, sort of like that sort of shimmy you see above hot asphalt mm. on a summer's day. Gin mm. uh, are often described as looking sort of like that. So maybe these guys can apply that effect to their entire fucking flying city. That, of course, makes it a lot harder to uh, hit them with a predator drone. I like the idea that they're more like flying villages, or like flying temples. They're like they're not. Yeah, like no, yeah, this ain't fucking Lapida. This it's more like okay, like these guys like lift up like twelve buildings or something. Yeah, that's that's what, and they're like hiding in the clouds and whatnot, and avoiding the USAF and like angry uh, Iranian fundamentalists up in hot air balloons with rifles trying to find them. <laughs> uh, there you go. Uh, again, yes, you, yeah, that's good. It doesn't answer the question of how to use them. In a campaign, that is a good question. Interesting conceptually. They, of course, have some wisdom that they've oh, yes. held onto for a long time. They're the ones that have it, or they have some sort of MacGuffin. Right. 
Or, hey, like, I mean, if you're doing, like, a UA campaign where you're playing the a uh, bunch of adepts in the U.S. military, maybe even specifically the Air Force. Yeah, these you are at odds with these guys because these guys are uh, taking up contested airspace between uh, Iraq and Iran. That, that has risk of causing a whole uh, diplomatic incident. You don't want, of course, the leadership don't want that. They do not. Yeah, perhaps. I do like them as uh, having like a MacGuffin or some reason to go up there. Some cabal of ponies or checkers like trying to like safely fly over Iran and like contact these guys. Uh, that that's a that's a whole thing. Yeah, they have wisdom. Right, yeah. Ancient wisdom. Go and find them. Get in. Get in. Uh, do a um. I know what's something that cheap that you can fly with. The gyrocopter. It would be interesting if, um, like, maybe the U- U- the U.S. military or the cabal of men staring at goats that exist within the U.S. military um, comes to some kind of terms with the Awamid, and now the Awamid mostly just hang out in no-fly zones, like in the Iraqi no-fly zone. I think they still... I thought that's still take down, I guess. But maybe they did at the time. They were like, here's a safe place for us for a while. Yeah, no, that, that checks out, I think. I mean, fucking... That might, might not be the case now, but if you're doing your UA campaign about a decade ago, it, it still works. Yeah, yeah. All right, then there's one more of these groups, aren't there? Yes, one more. Uh, Les Infernaux. So, um, Les Infernaux are about as French as French as yellow mustard, but snickering about their pretensions won't help you if you wind up in one of the rings. They've been building that fucking nightmare pit in Sardinia since the revolution, yeah, the French one. And the, the word is they're done with the wood of suicides. At this rate, they'll have Satan chewing on Judas by 2010. Someone ought to do something, but who bells the cat? Who indeed? I don't know what that's a reference to, that last, l- last little bit. Who bells the cat is um, like a sort of uh, like a folk story or like a, the idea... No, it's, it's like, a, like a children's story about um, mice trying to figure out how to deal with a... Mm. Like cat, and they come up with a great idea of like tying a bell to the cat, so they always know where the cat is. And who bells the cat uh-huh. is the mice looking at each other, being like, "Yeah, who, who's going to do it? Who's going to be the one to yeah. put themselves at risk to save everyone else?" All right, that's an interesting choice to describe addressing this issue. It's just some power there. These people clearly have a Dante hard on going on. Yes, yeah, they are clearly trying to build some sort of reproduction of Dante's Inferno. Yes. Um, Wood of Suicides is famously the level of hell filled with uh, people who committed suicide and harpies for some reason. Yep, yep. Who eat from the trees, if I remember correctly, because the people that kill themselves are turned into said trees. Oh yes, oh yes. Um, Yeah, Dante's Inferno is, is fun. Yes, yes it is. I understand why you'd want to build a recreation of it. I mean, if you were to exclude all of the scary occult implications from this, this would be a hell of a theme park. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a campaign. Turn it into a theme park. Yeah, there you go. And they talk about Satan chewing on Judas, and that's... Um, I mean, yeah, Judas was actually one of two guys that Satan was chewing on. Three. Oh, okay. So I know one was Brutus. The other one was Cassius. Mm, okay, that checks which out. Is, which is... It's always hilarious to me that, like, 
the three like it's the two guy one person who betrayed jesus and two guys who betrayed julius caesar yeah there are definitely times when i think uh that dante betrays his priorities a little bit dante's interesting um and i know that um dante's inferno uh as a piece of epic poetry was a bit like was controversial in its time there's a, lo- a couple of yeah. hot takes in there like um well yeah there's like a lot of just outright here's this guy from Florence that doesn't like me. Here's him burning in the fires of hell. That's right. That's right. But it's also the interesting fact that um in the first level of Hell and Purgatory where all the um the virtuous pagans are, like the idea of like what about all the people who died before Jesus saved everyone? Um so you've got your Aristotle and everyone in there. But he's also he also interestingly included um Saladin, the uh the Kurdish yes, anti crusader. Yes, he was very admired in Europe, to my understanding, right? Like, considered sort of a, a noble enemy sort of deal, right? That's it, that's it. And I thought it was, it's very interesting they included him there. It's like, ah, we'll, we'll put him with the pagans. He's a, he's a good guy. He's <laughs> a good guy. I they, they do, like, they do exclude some people. Like, there was the harrowing of hell, where Jesus, after he died on the cross, kicks in the doors of hell and is like, you, nine people, Adam, Eve, um... <laughs> I think Moses is in there. David, you're coming up to heaven with me. And then when Dante goes in there, Plato and Socrates all hit him up. And he's like, hey, Dante, you're super cool and write about so much stuff. You should hang out with us all the time. And he's like, sorry, guys, I got to keep on this trip to hell. But you guys are super cool. And I'm glad you acknowledge that I'm right all the time. That's just Dante's like equivalent of like the succubi. Uh, just like hang out with the, us talk about what i'm saying is forever. that inferno is the most famous piece of self-insert fiction in the, that, in the world of literature yes it's very blatant about it oh yes one of my favorite poets from the ancient world thinks i'm such a cool dude that he's just gonna hang out with me and guide me through hell and this is why whenever you're writing self-insert fiction don't hide it it's worse if you hide no. it. Be of, be blatant, be shameless, and it'll come out better. Yes, exactly. The worst thing a writer can have is shame. Now, there's two interesting facts here: is that they are Leifenau's. They're about as French as French's yellow mustard, uh, which is the the is the brand of mustard, I assume. Yeah. Um, yes. I've heard, I've seen references to it. I don't think we have it here, but I know what it is. Yeah. Um, but it does weirdly. Um, it refers to like so it's like it suggests that they're not french they're not european even maybe um uh, because if they I'm, might be european i mean who are the sorts of people that tend to idealize the french um uh, uh americans and brits really artists huh artists 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 yes. is what comes to mind to me and i could very easily see this as some sort of big installation piece perhaps but pretensions like do, do other europeans when they're being pretentious they use french probably but at least this time period yes what's weird about this what's weird about this is, is they're referring to they're building that fucking nightmare pit in sardinia since the revolution yeah the french ones so there is a link to the french revolution or like a reference um and but sardinia is in fucking italy so maybe they're italian with a french name well it's specifically in island off the coast of italy 
but you know between it's, it's kind of like Corsica, but if you switch around the degree of French versus Italian influence. Yes, yes, I know. I, yes, I'm aware of the uh, the island of Sardinia. Yes. All right. All right. Well, our listeners might not be, so yes. let's clarify that for their sake. Fair enough. Now, I was thinking like maybe they're Italian, but I wanted to sort of like, but they, again, I was hitting the same problem as with with uh, our previous guys with the Almid is like how they're a bit far away. If they're, you have to send your players to Sardinia. Uh, to the island of Sardinia, and then I was thinking, is it the island of Sardinia? What other places are called Sardinia? And I discovered there are four towns in the United States named Sardinia. Oh. Three of them were founded and settled after the period of the French Revolution. Um, that So that kind of rules out. I assume that rules out the Sardinias in New York, Ohio, and Indiana. But the... Sardinia in South Carolina um, appears to predate the, uh, at least the settlement of that area, Clarendon County in South Carolina, uh, predate the settlement there predates um, the French Revolution uh, because the first settlers in this area, uh, it was established in 1785, shortly after the American Revolutionary War, and it says that the first settlers were ethnic French Huguenots. Oh, interesting. It's interesting. Um, which makes, like, I like the idea that they came with something, some weird scheme, and they're as French as, as, they're as, French, as French as yellow mustard in terms of, like, 200 years ago, maybe one of their great-great-grandparents is a French Huguenot, but now they're, they're American. Yeah. <laughs> they're from their South Carolina. When... When was this founded? When was this place founded? Officially established in 1785. Uh, that checks out with round of a revolution. Yeah, that works out very well, actually. But, oh, yep. The settlers, the French Huguenots, predate that because they left France in the late 17th century, which was late 1600s, uh, and settled in the Charleston area. Uh, so there was French speakers there since the late 17th century along the Santee River around Charleston and Clarendon County, which is where uh, Sardinia, South Carolina is. And what really stuck out to me is not only not only is it the only one which really predates um, the French Revolution, but also the Wikipedia article is three sentences. Yes, and that's always suspicious. That always means they're hiding something. Right. And all it says is Sardinia is an unincorporated community in Clarendon County, South Carolina, United States. The community is located along U.S. Route 301, 5.4 miles southwest of Turbville. Uh, Sardinia has a post office with a zip code 29143. That's all they say. That's all they say. The, the lack of information is suspicious. I would agree. Now, so here's my theory of what's going on there, right? During the eve of the revolution, you have a lot of... Um, French Catholics fleeing the country, right? And a number of these guys flee to Sardinia, whether that's uh, off the okay. Of Italy already, or I already have I have an issue here. Well, this is interesting because if they fled there, they'd be fleeing to the place which had been settled by Huguenots, who were Calvinists fleeing Catholics France. <laughs> it seems like a bit of like out of the frying pan into the fire sort of thing. If you go, <laughs> if you want to go to Away from, well, I guess if you're fleeing the, gu- the guillotine, it makes sense, but... 
No, I, I, I think I think you're right. Like, th there's a few explanations there, but let's say let's go with the Sardinia one then. In the case of the island, you have no, no, some... no, no, no. I, I think it's Sardinia and South right. Carolina. I think it's more interesting because you're tired in all more. Right. All right, all right, all right. I mean, were there Huguenots fleeing the revolution too? It wasn't just French Catholics. The Huguenots had mostly been wiped out by that stage, but there was a few left. What I'm thinking is, um, when I was looking up and finding references, if there was any connection between Dante's Inferno and Calvinism, not really, but yeah. it's still popular because it predates Calvinism by a, a fair margin. Um, in Among Calvinists in New England, um, there was even Dante studies. It was popular in the 19th century. Um, and... What's interesting about is that Calvinism has the whole idea of predestination, the idea of um, those who are chosen to, those who will go to heaven, those who will be, be saved, are those who are elected by God to be saved. So the Spirit of God will fill them um, up and pull them away from sin, while those who God is not pleased to save um, will continue doing sin. And there's two versions of this, well, multiple versions, but there's the there's the double predestination, which is God both um, elects people for salvation and uh, reprobates people to damnation. And then there's a version where um, there's only a single, like God elects people for salvation, but the ones who are reprobates are reprobates because of their own sinful nature. You can't blame God for that. Um, but they're going to go to hell anyway because they're sinful. Um, but you can't. But God didn't do it deliberately. He just didn't save them. Then, then what happens to the good people who God does doesn't elect? There are none. Okay, so you only have free will if you're a sinner. Yes. Well, yes. nice. Okay. Yeah. That, no, 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 no. It's not about awesome. that. I it's... don't need to change any of my behavior. No, 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 no. If God elects you for salvation and you're filled with the light of God, you are freed from the wrong choices. <laughs> so you have a true free will because you'll do what God wants you to do. Which is true freedom. Uh, this is just making sinning more appealing, not gonna lie. But yeah, yeah th this is sort of the thing with any sort of predestination-based doctrine, where it's like, okay, no, fuck you. I'm, out of spite, gonna do what you tell me not to. That tends to happen. Uh, there yeah. is also a branch of Calvinism called uh, hyper-Calvinism, uh, which oh God. Uh, <laughs> denies the universal duty of human beings to believe in Jesus Christ because only the elect are able to understand his atonement and are gonna, like... So, basically, they're like... Don't even bother proselytizing. Like it's a waste. You, they're not. They're all going to hell anyway. And there's a few different groups um, related to this. The uh, what was it? Two seeds in the spirit and other groups like that are related to this hyper Calvinist doctrine of yeah, fuck them. <laughs> we cut. I ask. don't mind this one so much actually because like hey, they're dickheads, but at least they're dickheads they keep to themselves. That yeah, it's fair enough. That's fair enough. And I was sort of wondering, like, since this, like, hell and, like, I wonder if, like, these guys, the Leifinos, are actually trying to, maybe it's a sort of inversion of Calvinism, or like a, like, it's an occult group within an area that was settled by Huguenots, so Calvinists, uh, but they're an occult group, so maybe they have some sort of reverse Calvinism going on. Well, it's not like being an occult group is 
exclusive with being a Christian group, as True. I mean, even within the underground, look at the Ordo, right? Mm-hmm. Which they practice a really fucked up and twisted version of the prosperity gospel, but still technically Christian. So, usefully brought up uh, that Dante studies were not unheard of among the Calvinists in the uh, 19th century, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And you said that this, uh, that um, Sardinia, South Carolina, was settled around the late 18th century. So maybe this it project was, it is was just incorporated one big centuries. In... Okay, yeah. So they've been there even longer. Yeah. You've had Huguenots there even longer. So maybe this uh, recreation of uh, Dante's Inferno. It's just one big century-spanning Dante study. Maybe. Like this huge installation art piece that's been worked on for decades and decades as a reminder that hell is real. Mm. I'm wondering if these, if they're in a cult group, like if you're a Calvinist cult group, um, or like a cult group with Calvinist background and you encounter demons, like the spirits of humans, it would seem to confirm your beliefs about the essential human spirit being evil because all demons are fucked. Oh, um, yeah, fair, fair. One idea of their motivation could be they're building a hell to, because these demons are, have clearly escaped from hell somehow. Uh, they need to be put through a hell. Um, alternatively, it could be a way of saving people by showing them the errors of the ways that like, this is where you're headed. Um, if you don't, uh, you know, accept Jesus into your heart. It's sort of like in well, uh, Thailand. Well, there's have... part of that, but I like your demon idea in that, like, okay, say these are Christian demonologists and they're building a hell as a right. place to store all the demons. There's obviously all these demons running around up on the, uh, up on the earth, right? That should be down in hell. Yep. And they obviously keep coming back. So I guess if um, Satan's hell has a leak, then we got to build our own. We got to build a better hell. Hell too. And we put all the demons in there. We summon all these demons and put them straight in hell for safekeeping. It's interesting when I was reading into like some of the nitty gritty of like uh, Calvinist theological fights with each other. Um, a lot of the arguments people were having was like, God must be doing this. And like a lot of the, um, the what people would say to like um, uh, negate someone else's theology was like, do you think God is that stupid? Do you think God would, would fail to do that? Would fail to save us or like would not know what he's doing? Like that argument gets seems to pop up a lot. Like uh, because God is faultless and all knowing that like any argument that uh, God's missing, like God didn't do this particular thing. It, doesn't make sense but they would always they would use that against each other all the time but imagine this group just completely accepted that it's like yeah apparently god has made a problem he's made an error there's a leak in hell and we have to build a hell up here as a backup because of all these fucking demons and it's fine the alternative one the alternative one is that hell doesn't exist yet and it is our job as christians to create it and that is what God has predestined us to do. Interesting. That's a nice idea. Building hell on earth. Um, because God commands it. Well, yeah, because all that stuff in the Bible, there's no guarantee that's happened yet, right? He threw Satan down to earth, and he's obviously running around here still. And his name is the Comte de Saint-Germain. <laughs> there we go. There we go. 
Um, then we could have some connection with the... Uh, oh, they could be rivals of the True Order of St. Germain or the German Liberation Society. Then we get some militia-on-militia militia action, uh, which there is always go. fun. One thing that you brought up before, you mentioned that the, 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 they have the idea of um, Satan chewing on Judas by 2010. Yeah. Now, it's interesting because in Dardo's Inferno was Judas, Judas Cassius and Brutus, and they don't mention the other two, but of course you don't need to. But I was thinking, what if those two other... like they Because it was clear that putting um, Brutus and Cassius there was a reflection of how Italians thought in the Renaissance. These two fucking traitors... They deserve to get bit. They deserve to get eaten by Satan as well. But imagine if right it's up like, there was Judas. That's right. But imagine down if there, I guess. now, now in like 21st century America, they've got these two spots open, and they're like, "Fuck Judas, fuck, fuck Brutus and Cassius. Who is the biggest traitor?" And because, and, they're, and they're super Republicans, and they're like, "We have to wait till Hillary dies and put her up there, or something like that." <laughs> <laughs> like, like tie that all into it. The thing that was coming to mind for me is like, okay, if they think Satan is the copy of Saint Germain, maybe the last step of building this thing is actually kid would have been actually kidnapping the comp, basically burying him up to his waist in cement. That's right. Or That's right. Freezing him. But you know, Whisper War kind of and all the uh, about faces that happened then with the freak and the comp kind of. Uh, put a spanner in the works, and they don't know where the comp went. Well, maybe they do. Maybe they know. They are aware of Mother Apocalypse and have tied that into their um, apocalypse. Maybe Old view. Mother Apocalypse is sneaking her so, is sneaking them some uh, tips. The comp's uh, new identity currently is. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I th- but the Mother Apocalypse is. Oh, you mean like the Human Eternal? Mm. Yes, mm. exactly. Mm, sneaking maybe. them some tips on where to find the Human Eternal so they can bury them, and you know that way she can get them. I do like the idea of Inferno, Inferno and the Global Liberation Society or the True Order of Saint Germain having yeah. a long history yeah. of fighting. And I like the idea that after the Whisper War, they're still fighting, even though Mother Apocalypse is in charge of pretty much of the GLS now. Um, and I do, and I also like the idea of um, GLS taunting uh, Le Inferno by saying, "I'm with her all the time." <laughs> Nice. I, I do enjoy the idea of a uh, of a Calvinist uh, art cult that wants to bury Hillary Clinton up to her waist in ice. There we go. As uh, some means of creating hell on earth, and well, then that, storing demons in there. Well, that's interesting. Like, let's look at the. Uh, I'm gonna look at Dante's uh, levels of hell. Because then you could have like because clearly they're not all in the same place. They're not all necessarily in yeah. um, uh, South Carolina. They could be all over the place. They could be one in actual Sardinia. I, I well, like it the says idea. that fucking nightmare pit singular, which implies to me that like all right, I it, it's not inferno. But it's not all in one pit. It all needs to be the same whole torm. So I think this is pretty important. That that's true. Um, it must. I, I like the idea. It's a, it's a deep ass pit. It's a real deep pit. Yeah, just a big old hole. Just a big oh. old fucking hole they found. Um, like, oh yeah, obviously this is this is where they at first they thought it was a door to hell, and then they realized no, this is where hell is prophesized to be. Maybe that was kind of horrifying in the idea that they're trying to capture demons, but the demons they have to capture demons in human bodies, so people possessed by demons, and and put them in the right level of hell. For for what their whatever their their sin is, but their main sin would be 
whatever the demon's urge is. So whatever the demon's urge would be like, is this lust? Is this gluttony? Is this greed? What is it? Where does it go? And then putting them in the pit. And then you have your PCs having to go and rescue one of their friends who got possessed by a demon, then got kidnapped by hyper-Calvinists and put in a nightmare pit in South Carolina. Well, and the great thing about being a Calvinist uh, demonologist is that as a Calvinist, you know that because you are virtuous enough and God has uh, chosen you, you are totally safe from possession. <laughs> Only the unvirtuous are in any danger of possession. So, therefore, it's totally fine to throw these people in the pit. And therefore, it's totally fine for you to consort with demons because there's no chance that they actually fucking possess you. And if you're a dead member of Le'Ivino, um, you're virtuous. Just be- You're not a demon. They're demons. You're a virtuous demon. Yes. And you can possess And if you, you get like. possessed, then you were never virtuous in the first place and need to go down there with the, with the rest of them. That actually gives... Um, that explains some of like the fact that they've been working on it since like for, for 200 years. Is yeah, because they, 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 they keep getting fucking possessed and having to pick up the project after like a 20-year break because there's a like this huge spat in the cult because one of the leadership gets possessed. Well, no, I'm thinking that the leadership are demons. They just, like, don't... Like, they think they're special demons who aren't actually demons. The rest... Like, any, any, oh, that works too. The demons who aren't, like, hyper-Calvinists, probably for no, they're, 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 they deserve to go into the pit. But no, no, we're, we're just waiting for... We're just, like, we're building... This is a long-term project to build hell on Earth so we yeah. get access to heaven. Demons whose <laughs> urge is based in religion. Based in Christianity. All right, that works. And because God's chosen them, uh, that's why they're immortal, right? Right, right. And that's they, he's chosen them, so he's been he's given them immortality so they can complete this project and build hell for him. And they do not give a shit about the people who are possessed by the demons because if we <laughs> that doesn't matter. They also they're retrobates. Of course, they're retrobates yeah. because they're not good hypercalvinists like we are. So they go in the pit as well. No, that's 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 pretty evil. Isn't predestination so much fun? <laughs> oh yeah, it, it, it's great. It's great. <laughs> and it kind of having them be this evil or this sort of powerful because if they're demons, they know a lot of shit. Um, even if they're yeah, deluded yeah. about where they're getting that information from, then the question of who bells the cat does actually it makes sense. Yeah. There you go. Who wants to go down into the nightmare pit and try to clear it out? Because you'll be freeing a bunch of demons. Like, it's full... Like, they're bad. It's not good. There's innocent people in their nightmare pit. But the nightmare pit is also full of demons. So, what do you do there? Yeah, like, if they're innocent people still... They're innocent people when they went down there. They probably ain't so innocent now. And they're probably full of, like... Five different fucking demons. Yep. Yep. Um, so yeah, that is a good question. Who bells the cat on this one? <laughs> it's complete now. Except for, like, they keep... Over the past, like, two centuries, it's always like, all right, conservative subject of the two-minute hate du jour is obviously Satan, and they're the one that needs to get frozen down there. Right, right. Yeah, they keep moving people in and out. Um... <laughs> Um, and because, of course, they can't, like, they would sometimes be looking for demons that don't, 
exist because like the spirit of someone has passed beyond the veil. So yeah. they're waiting. They're, they're like they're lying in wait for Jimmy Carter to die, but they're not necessarily going to get him. <laughs> like it depends if he becomes a demon or not. Urge peanut farming. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which level of hell goes if you're urged? That would be a, a pride. Maybe? Obviously lust. Obviously oh, lust, lust. Lust. Oh, yes. That makes sense. Which Dante considered one of the lesser sins of, uh, of the seven deadly sins, if I remember correctly. I wonder who these people consider to be the, uh, the virtuous pagans. That's a good fucking question. Like, maybe people that help them at some point. They're like, ah, oh, okay, we'll probably sure. be the first level. Well, yeah, like the first level is like a legitimately really nice arboretum. Oh, yeah. Doesn't seem so bad. Yeah, this could this could tie it into basically any of the um, like any group, any Anunnaki's group, because like there's got to be some TNI agents in that pit and some like sex of the yeah. naked goddess people. Like yeah, everyone has pit. some fucking has some guys down there. They're like oh fuck, <laughs> they, they yeah. all know about it. It's a huge fucking problem. And but again, who bells that cat? That's right. Who is gonna bust open the fucking demon pit? Not I, not I. No. Uh, that, that's someone else's job. I'm with you on that one. Well, um, I think that we covered these three yeah, I think groups. our patented free association divination has uh, given us some solid truths about these three groups in their current state. Yeah, I think that we can celebrate with a nice big bowl of crushed orange peel that I've prepared. Why are your nails bleeding? Huh. 